0: Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Thinking Ahead, a GFK Insights podcast. You know the drill. This is Hannah Leiter, your host, and I hope that you are having a good day or night whenever you are listening to this episode. For today, we are taking a journey, a product's journey. Have you ever wondered how that new flavor, your favorite snack, made it on the shelf or how that new fancy gadget made its way into your cart and then into your home? Well, today it's time to break it down from sparked idea to development, to testing, to launch. Now, many of you listening may be in the middle of a new product development or you're trying to figure out if a new idea is worth the investment. Well, listen closely. Joining me today is Neil Heffernan. He is the executive vice president at GFK and Jeremy Anderson, who is the founder of 50 Gazelles, a company that develops those innovative ideas I was just mentioning and then commercializes them. They are here to dig into the details and help us understand what's behind a product launch and how to make it successful. Welcome to you both.
1: Great, thanks Hannah.
0: Now, I just gave a very, very brief introduction for both of you. Could you give us a little more information about your roles specifically and why you're on the podcast together today?
1: Uh, Yeah, this is, uh, I'll start. This is uh, Neil. Um, I head up uh, our in-market testing practice at GFK And uh, one of the things that, uh, the way Jeremy and I ultimately actually connected was uh, when we were both independently working with a client uh, on a new product test. Um, The client uh, actually had hired Jeremy and his firm, 50 Gazelles, to help on the commercialization of their product idea. And at the same time, uh, they had reached out to GFK to help on the in-market transactional test to measure the success of the new product. And um, after that test, though, uh, you know Jeremy and I uh, had gotten introduced to each other as part of that test, but then we realized our two companies actually had a lot of synergies. And uh, from there, we actually have formed a strategic partnership um, actually about at the end of last year to help our clients mutually develop new products faster, uh, and ultimately cheaper and with less risk by taking uh, the strengths that Jeremy's firm has, and the strengths that GFK have to help our clients find successful new products that will actually um, stick in the market for many, many years to come.
2: Yeah, like all great partnerships, uh, the 50 Gazelles and GFK partnership really, I think takes one and one and makes it three. Um, GFK does such a great job on the testing side and 50 Gazelles, we commercialize products quickly. And that's a pretty potent mix for delivering the fast, iterative innovation that that our clients are certainly looking for.
0: Right. So speaking of innovation, as you just mentioned, how important is it truly to the growth of a brand or a company?
1: Yeah, it's extremely important, um, especially in the FMCG industry, which is really the the industry that we support. Um, Last year, I I saw a study that PricewaterhouseCoopers did, and Uh, they went out and interviewed all the top CEOs of of the CPG companies, so it's the likes of P&G, Coke, Nestle, Kellogg's, Um, and they asked them how important innovation was, and and virtually every one of them, it was like 97% had said that innovation was a key pillar in their strategic plan to drive growth for the company, and uh, that's not a surprise. Um, You know, I've been doing this type of work in the industry for 25 years, and uh, you know, when I started uh, back in the early '90s, this was a top priority for these same companies, and I think you know, another 25 years from now, innovation is always going to be a key pillar uh, in their in their growth strategy because it has to be for them.
2: Yeah, innovation, new products, new businesses—it really is the lifeblood of a, a company these days. Uh, particularly in today's world, the competition is just ferocious. There's no no easy days. No easy years and um, you got to be innovating if you want to grow. Now innovation doesn't necessarily mean that a change has to be massive uh, in order to create growth. Um, our team's been working on some projects where even just small changes and in, in small tweaks, which is why this test and learn is so important. Uh, if you can unlock this, the what's behind the the, a big idea and just get it right, you can unlock huge value. We worked on a project uh, that client been trying to work on for years. They've been trying to solve it. And we made a small packaging change and that unlocked $350 million in new annual revenue, uh, 10%, more than 10% category expansion in a category that was declining at the time. So there's a, there's a lot of different ways to grow there's new-to-the-world things, being at the head of head of the wave of the next trend in, in food and beverage. Um, it might also be taking an idea that's already working somewhere and figuring out how to make it more available uh, to consumers in new places and spaces, where uh, it might be solving a whole new problem that or job that, that consumers need help with.
0: Wow, $350 million. Is that the number you said? I mean, that is... That is huge for just making a small little change to be able to have that much bigger of an opportunity is exactly why innovation is so important. So I told everybody we're going on a journey. So of course we have to start from the beginning. And that is when you have just that initial idea. So. How do you take that and start making that new product into a material product?
2: Uh, Hannah, I'm going to assume from your question that you've already got the idea. Um, sometimes uh, coming up with the idea is, is the hardest part. Um, you got to come up with an idea that's relevant to consumers. Um, and that in and of itself is a big job. Uh, is there a big opportunity here? Will it move the needle for the business? Is it really relevant to consumers? Uh, is it an idea that leads to other things? Can it be a platform to launch other innovations or is it an orphan, a one and done? And a lot of work goes into creating, shaping and validating those ideas. From your question, I'm gonna assume that we, we've already done all of that work and that we have the idea and now we need to make it real. And for us, uh, I think we think of those each of those ideas as a little bit of a puzzle. Um, generally, you have some of the pieces of the puzzle and you're missing others. And that's a place where we really specialize in innovation at 50 Gazelles, um, is where a company's got some of the pieces and they're, but they don't have all of them. Um, some companies won't launch an idea if they don't have all the pieces. Uh, in other cases, it's really our job Uh, to put them all, put all those things together. They're more agile and they're open to figuring out how do we we build this puzzle together with other people. For example, a company might have a great brand, Uh, that brand might live today in the center of the store, uh, but the company doesn't really have the capabilities to take that brand and sell products on the fresh perimeter where a lot of consumers are shopping today Um, and yet they they know that their brand likely works in that space but they don't really have the sales they really don't have the uh, manufacturing and packaging and sales and distribution expertise to get to that fresh perimeter Um, and so part of our job is helping them figure out how to get those capabilities in the short term uh, to be able to put together a test, to be able to get the idea in the market, to be able to see if it can work, Do, does their brand actually hunt in that space? Um, that's often a, one of the big challenges that we're we're trying to solve for, is pulling all of those pieces together.
0: Yeah, that is definitely a lot. So where is usually the best place to start, or does it change in what puzzle pieces that you have, as you just said?
2: Exactly. It it typically starts at trying to figure out what are the puzzle pieces you have and what are the puzzle pieces that you're missing. Um, Do you have a brand? Um, Where will your product live in store? Uh, What are the dynamics of that category? Um, Will it compete well there? Do you have the capabilities uh, to sell in and sustain the business and deliver products in that category? or is that a gap? Is that something that we need to go out into the marketplace and find a partner to help solve for? Who's going to make the product? Who's going to pack it up uh, in this uh, consumer packaged goods world? And uh, all the way, all of course, all along the way, we got to make sure that these products are safe and legal and well represent the brand.
0: What's the usual timeline for all of this to happen? Are we talking about weeks, months, years?
2: That's such a great question. I think uh, we're working on projects where we're putting things in market in in three to four months uh, with some of more agile clients and uh, more traditional timeline, 24, 36, even 48 months. Uh, Obviously, the imperative today is how do you do it faster? How do you start to learn faster? Um, And how do you Uh, And that's one of the reasons why our partnership with uh, GFK has been so great, is that uh, we're able to put things into market really quickly at a smaller scale, learn, and then de-risk some of the things that usually make projects take longer.
0: Right. I'm sure the longer it takes, the more adaptability you need to have, you know, in case something happens where you need to change the product. Like maybe there's a giant pandemic that changes something.
2: (laughs) Change is, is the only constant these days
0: very true so let's say that we have gone through these three to four months and we have a product that we want to get into the market now we have to move on and we have to test it to make sure that of course it's as successful as we believe it's going to be from our research and all of the work we just did so with that how much in-market testing should be done and what are the main kpis that you are measuring to make sure that it will be a successful launch
1: yeah, I think Jeremy started on that and the last part. Uh, it's really around the, the risk assessment and um, you know the new product that we're ultimately going to test. We have to look at what that risk is, and, that, and the risk that we're looking at is really what's the financial risk if this product fails. So um, if the product has moderate financial risk, you know, then it's more of a small scale test should be executed. And when we think about a small scale test, I, I'm thinking. That we're finding, um, you know, a representative retailer. You know, it's one retailer. We're maybe in ten test stores, and we're uh, in market for eight or twelve weeks. Um, now, if the client has a lot of unknowns and it's a big financial risk, so they're entering a new category that they currently don't compete in. Uh, it's a brand new product name that doesn't have any equity, where they're really assuming a lot of risk, and there's a lot of investment behind it then this is gonna be more of a large scale test and uh, that you would wanna execute. And when I say a large scale test, that's really testing with multiple retailers across channels in a test market for a longer period of time. And that could be at least six months and potentially sometimes we're testing for a full year with some of these high risk innovation ideas our clients have because it allows us to actually execute a full marketing plan and that we treat that test market more like a mini national launch, uh, and what that allows us to do is accurately under, understand the year one volume uh, for that new product uh, that the client is really, you know, assuming a lot of risk for. And um, when you think about KPIs, the other part of your question, there's several metrics that we actually use to determine success and failure when when we go in market with a test. The first is just looking at the overall sellout. Uh, that's the sales data that you get from just the stores. And um, it's a sales velocity metric, called, you know, and it's units per store per week selling. And that's uh, that. That's where you start. Um, there's a certain amount of velocity uh, new items have to have based on the shelf space they're taking in the category they're in in the store. So a standard analysis that is done is it's actually called a SKU ranking report. So um, when we enter a, a test market, we start looking at sales performance. We'll look at those units per store per week selling and see where they rank um, relative to the competition. That's an important metric to look at. The second part of uh, the analysis that we wanna do too is uh, tap into the retailer. If they have a loyalty card program, a frequent shopper program, we wanna access that data as well because that's gonna allow us to break down the sales data and look at who's trying the product and who's repeating on the product. And that those, are in criti- those are critical metrics to look at so we know that we're building enough trial, uh, but also people that have tried are coming back and repeating on the product at a, at a healthy rate relative to our goals for success.
2: Neil, you talk about, you tell stories about uh, uh, how expensive it is to launch a national product at national scale and the, uh, the risk that companies are taking on in terms of uh, their slotting, their investment in inventory, their investments in advertising, and how often those products fail, Uh, particularly when they haven't gone through a process like this. And um, so often, one of the things that we learn in a test like this is don't do it, (laughs) right? You learn... That uh, that the, this is not something that's going to work at a national scale, and you're out a little bit of money for the test, but you you don't make that big, huge investment um, that uh, you otherwise might have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and that's part of, and that's part of the
1: risk management, right? That's what we're trying to do with our client partners is the. Is to make sure that we 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 fail on a small scale, not on the national scale. And um, you know, through the 25 years I've been doing this, I mean, we of all the studies we've looked at, I, we've actually got a normative database, and, and it's actually about two thirds of the time. Um, you know, we're we're identifying um, we're, we're identifying products that just aren't meeting those KPIs. So the majority, you know, 60 percent or so of uh, of the innovation. Uh, doesn't meet those KPIs, um, and that's and we know from just the national statistics too, that 80 percent, you know, of all new products fail, and me, and failure means that they're not sticking around, you know, past one year in distribution. Right? They come into market, um, they have a short shelf life, and they're delisted. You know, typically before the end of year one, if not year one, they're definitely not in distribution in year two. And that, that number has been like that since the early 90s when I started in this
2: industry. It hasn't changed. The beauty of it is also that you can start to invest more in the ideas that are winners. And so you're, you're by doing the test in, in the way that uh, we're outlining it, you figure out who, what before you've spent the money Who are the winners and who are the losers? And then it really allows you to put your shoulder into the winners and make sure that they sustain their success in the marketplace. When we're not involved, there's a
1: lot of kind of do it yourself um, testing that goes on. And uh, the test design is flawed from the get go. And a lot of that's due to them. You know, choosing a retailer that they're friendly with, and it might not be really the, a representative retailer for them to do the research. Or, you know, the the sales team you know partners with the retailer, and they only put it in a couple stores for you know four weeks, and that's really not a sufficient test design. You know, so those are some of the pitfalls of kind of clients that say, "Well, I tested it. Well, you, you tested it, but you really didn't test it properly." and you know, the action that you can get out of those results are potentially misleading and could lead you down the wrong, wrong uh, lead you down the wrong path.
0: Yeah, it definitely is interesting when you put numbers like that. How the majority of new products do fail, but then you also look at the numbers we talked about in the beginning of how beneficial innovation can be. So it it's interesting that you really do have to do a lot of trial and error, but you know clearly it is worth it because you'd rather fail at that small scale maybe a few times and then succeed at a very large scale once well more than once hopefully yeah. but <laughs> yeah so can you give some examples of what some of these red flags might be that indicate that stop don't do it this isn't the right product
1: when we do that SKU ranking report um, if our new items are not in the top 50% of the category items that are selling um, you know, that's, that's a, a red flag. That's an unsuccessful launch. Retailers aren't going to take, create new space for uh, products that aren't going to, you know, really be in the top 50% and ideally in the top third. You know, they, they want something that's going to be really new to the category that can drive interest to their category buyers. Um, the other thing that we look at, too, is, um, you know, like we talked about the trial and repeat numbers Um, you know if the velocity looks really strong but it drops off um, in the back half of the test that actually will will show that um, we've got a repeat issue we've got a lot of people that were showing interest our rankings were in that top fifty percent but over the last say four or eight weeks of the test period we're indexing the lower fifty percent that means that you know we had a lot of interest a lot of trial but repeat is not there and that means there's a product quality issue that we would need to address because people um, were interested enough to try but they weren't satisfied with what uh, the the product offered them and that they're go- going to choose something else go back to the brand they bought previously um, and that's gonna that's gonna ultimately you know kill the product down the road because the product needs to survive
2: long-term with repeat buyers not just tryers.
0: Right. How often does a product come back for changes during the testing phase?
2: Oh, Hannah, you're talking about the holy grail here. How quickly can we learn? How quickly can we iterate and get a better pro- product into market? And there's uh, really a tension at the heart of your question. On one hand, we want to know, will consumers part with their hard-earned dollars and buy something? Not just say it, but will they actually do it? where they actually spend their money on it. And on the other hand, we've gotta create and produce product that is safe and reliable in the marketplace, that it's gonna be legal. And food and beverage, highly regulated markets, there's always risk with food safety. So we gotta balance those two tensions. And one of the things that we've been able to do, uh, 50 Gazelles and, and GFK, is work at trying to get that balance those tensions and get that process shorter and shorter and shorter so that we can get product into market, find out whether people are willing to part with their daughters and then that repeat that process uh, before and figure out that magic for a product before launching at national scale and putting all of those, uh, putting on that huge risk at that level.
1: Yeah. And I think you know, just the iteration process, what I've seen too, um, you know, is a lot of companies actually, um, don't take the time to, to try to fine tune the changes. Most of the companies are being pushed to find the next big idea. Um, and, uh, they tend to scrap the idea and move on to the next, um, because, because they're, they're, they're being pushed to find that home run. Right. Um, you know, and what Jeremy and I are trying to do is to, to develop these experiments where we can identify the issues, fine-tune them, and fix them. And it's adoption process that takes some time with clients to get in to develop that type of uh, discipline in their launch process. But it's definitely a a challenge that clients face all the time.
0: So now let's say, I know we just skirted over quickly, but we're going to pretend that during that whole time we were just talking, we actually tested a product and it was a success. So we have a product. It looked like it was testing great. It's going to be a good launch. What's next? What do we do now that we have the product and we go into, you know, that national scale from the small one we were just working in?
2: It's a great question, Hannah. And typically when we're we're working on a market test, we're parallel pathing with a national launch. We're thinking of the the test market as, as a series of small bets with the assumption that we're headed in the right direction and that we're gonna pass our test with flying colors so that we can move very quickly into a national launch. We're holding back the big investments until we get those test results Uh, but, uh, we're always moving forward. And the reason we're doing this is because not because we want to get great test results. The reason we're doing this is because we think we want to launch a product nationally, and it's going to really move the needle for the business. President, uh, Ronald Reagan used to throw his golf clubs and talk about throwing his golf clubs in the direction he's walking. We're, we're definitely testing in the direction we're, we're going national launch.
0: (laughs) I love that, that comparison. So Jeremy, what elements of one successful product that you may develop with one company, what insights do you get from that? And is it involved in when you start to develop or test that new product with that same company?
2: Hannah, I think for us, it's probably less about the product that we're learning about um, in terms of carrying it on to the next project uh, with a client. It's usually about the mindset of... Uh, How do we do this agile uh, product development, product commercialization, quick learning and iterative process? Uh, And it's about the systems. How do we maneuver and make sure that we can get these products into market uh, in a safe and legal way uh, that everybody feels comfortable and confident in and do it quickly, and, and those are the lessons generally that we're carrying forward from one project to another. When we,
1: when our process is implemented and it, we show the success of it with one, with one brand and a category for a big manufacturer, uh, we see a lot of other, um, pro, you know, other categories and other brand teams actually start following suit. So it actually starts expanding, and that best practice actually gets implemented across the organization so you you know it's definitely we see that being more of a discipline you know we show our success with a couple of uh, early tests with a with a category or a couple brands and other brands will follow suit with those organizations
0: well believe it or not but we are on to our last segment of the show and this is when we think ahead now for the first time on the podcast i actually have two thinking ahead questions one for each of you we usually only have one so feel honored uh neil i'll start with you thinking ahead how will in-market testing evolve as buying methods emerge in the coming years new buying methods
1: yeah, I, th- I mean, it's de- we're definitely going through some changes. This last year with the pandemic, we saw a huge surge in online shopping, and that's a behavior that is going to be sticky, right? That's, that's not going to change, even though we're going to get back to normal later this year and there won't be the risk of, of picking up uh, COVID. A lot of uh, behaviors will actually stay, and um, a part of that is the, uh, the shopping uh, people that haven't uh, normally used online shopping tried it during the pandemic and um, they see the ease of use and the benefit of ordering and picking up without you know having to go into the store. And as that percent uh, of shoppers build, it's still smaller. Everyone's still, obviously, a lot of people are still in the stores and, and shopping, but we do see this growing steadily in, in the coming years. So as that continues to grow... Testing is going to have to account for this. Um, And what we're going to have to do is develop um, a simultaneous test where we're marketing the product in-store as well as online. Uh, It adds complexity, but it's going to be required to get a full understanding of the volume potential for the new product idea. And um, that's something that we've actually started looking at with our retail partners and how how can we set up a, a simultaneous test where we can market to those online shoppers as well as the standard advertising that we do in store uh, at the shelf. So definitely something that we have to tackle in the coming, starting this year, but obviously more as the the next few years come come along for us.
0: Jeremy, similarly, but a little different, when you think ahead, how will product development evolve?
2: Wow, it is such a complex world out there. And it seems that uh, change is really the only constant these days. Um, it certainly feels like we're moving from a world uh, where certainty and scale uh, dictated who the winners would be uh, towards one where uh, uh, speed and being able to address and handle ambiguity and figure your way out through uh, this ambiguous changing world that we live in, that that's where the winners will be found is is in in that agile uh, um, ability to act quickly. And I think it's all going to be about placing small bets in the direction you're heading and then figuring out your way as you go.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say your guys' jobs or current professions are safe in the future because there's going to be a lot of innovation to come. Now, before I let both of you go, one last question: As an expert in product development or in market testing, what is your best advice for those who are currently working to get that idea into a successful launch? What do you feel is the most important thing someone can get out of this podcast episode?
1: Yeah, I'll go. I'll I'll, I'll go first on this one. I mean, as I said up front, you know, the new product failure rates are still extremely high. You know, eighty percent or or more, and uh, I think. You know, part of the reason for that is that a lot of companies aren't applying enough rigor to the innovation process. Uh, and also, you know, as part of that rigor, they also have to show some patience. Um, everyone obviously wants to get the market uh, before their competition with a, a new product idea. But um, sometimes it's, you know, that speed ultimately is too risky. And, and, and we see that in the, in the failure rates. So as we had discussed at the beginning, you know, uh, of the presentation or the podcast today, is, you know, innovation is always going to be a major initiative for our clients, but it's got to be done with more rigor. And if companies do adopt an in-market testing model, this is going to help them weed out those failures on the small scale and, uh, and only move forward, you know, with, pot, you know, with successful launches that are going to drive bottom line you know, profits on a national level for them.
2: And I think the, 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 the best advice I could give is, is look for help. Look for people who are already being successful. Get to know them. Talk to them. Build relationships with them. Um, uh, we've been so successful because of knowing people like Neil and GFK. We've been successful because we are open to getting to know people who are already doing things well. And the future is going to be built by um, those kinds of partnerships, relationships, some of them fast, some of them temporary, some of them long standing and permanent, uh, always based in mutuality. Uh, But in today's world, you can't know everything. You can't do everything. You can't capture all the value. It's all about assembling a team of people and companies to go after these big innovation challenges as quickly and as agilely as you possibly can.
0: Yeah, very well said. Well, thank you, Neil and Jeremy both. It's been a pleasure. If you're interested in getting to know a little bit more about today's topic, or if you wanna reach out to Neil or Jeremy for more information from them personally, you can find all of that information in the show notes. Thank you both so much for being here today.
1: Thank you, Hannah. Yeah, thanks, Hannah.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, you can click the link in the description. And please make sure to leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you like about the show. And of course, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button to keep up to date on the latest insights. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.